2: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, I can promise you're in the right place. Okay, I have a quick assignment for all of you out there listening today. Here's the buzz. Get yourself a shiny new quarter, the shiniest, newest quarter, or wherever you are in the world, find a coin, a big enough coin, put it in the palm of your hand, and just hold it there for about 30 seconds, and I'll tell you what to do with it. Okay, let's get serious. If your finance organization is just like most companies' finance organizations, organizations you've traditionally focused on expense control you've been looking at spreadsheet driven accounting I can say ugh, parenthetically you've been looking at management reporting and guess what we all know it's mostly past tense looking back over your shoulder. I want you to fast forward to 2020. it's not that far off and you know it's my favorite year for predictions and we'll do that at the end of the show. what does this mean Well by then we'll have full adoption of digital technologies. Okay. Now that quarter or that coin or that pence you put in your hand, I want you to toss it up in the air a little bit and catch it and take a look and see how it falls in your hand or on the desk, on the floor, on the bed, wherever you are. Okay. Now, if heads comes up, that means making the right digital changes to your finance operating model, to your technology, and to your people can transform finance into great things, a predictive analytics powerhouse. It can help you drive strategy across your economics, your market, your competitor, and your customer perspectives. That's all good. That's exciting. That's new. That's something to look forward to. Okay, what if the quarter or the whatever you've got came up with tails Uh uh-oh digital will kill finance as we know it and that's what some analysts are saying but let's not take that at face value literally the face value of the coin not so much is this a good thing or a bad thing if it kills finance and what if that happens what will you and your organization do to cope well before you're wonder what you're going to do too long we have a panel of experts who are going to help us explore it analyze it figure it out and hopefully give you some great answers to help you move forward you put the coin away if you have a parking meter to fill today you can use it it's fine the job of the quarter is done first up on the panel I'm so pleased to welcome David Axon. He's a managing director with Accenture Strategy, and he leads the firm's global CFO strategies practice. And David has sent me a very interesting quote we hear from time to time from Albert Einstein, you know, the German-born theoretical physicist who actually lived until 1955. I'm always surprised when I see how, quote-unquote, recently he was with us, but he would sure be shocked at what's going on in the world today. Here's the quote, if you can't, Explain it simply. You don't understand it well enough. Words of wisdom. David Axon, welcome. How are you?
3: I'm very well. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Well, we're delighted to have you. Talk to me. How does this Einstein quote, which is a great one and it really makes a lot of sense on so many topics, how does it apply to our topic today, Finance 2020, vis a vis digital? Talk to me, David. Well,
3: finance really has to step up and become the Rosetta Stone of the business, translating a very complex world into context and insight that allows business leaders to make faster, more confident business decisions. And frankly, for the last 30 or 40 years, we've rather been pushing the boat in the wrong direction, increasing complexity, lengthening our cycle times, and really moving exactly the wrong direction in the way in which business needs to move today. The good news is we're seeing some digital technologies come along that really can turbocharge that transformation and allow us to liberate the finance professional from the tyranny of the spreadsheet.
2: I love the way you put that, the tyranny of the spreadsheet. And obviously, you heard me say, ugh, when I got to the word spreadsheet in the opening. So I certainly agree. David, point of view from your, your perch at Accenture. How many finance organizations are still glued to their spreadsheets, looking down at the spreadsheet instead of up at the digital world? What's the status? Any clues today?
3: Well, the current benchmarks still show that the average finance professional spends between 60 and 70% of their work week getting ready to switch their brain on. That's collecting data, organizing data, uh, placing it in a spreadsheet, consolidating multiple spreadsheets, making sure the data is correct. And then finally, maybe around about Thursday morning, they switch their brain on and say, what does this mean for our business? And frankly, that's just unacceptable in today's fast-moving world where business leaders are looking for insight that's not driven by the accounting calendar, but is tied to the real-time flow of business information through the enterprise.
2: Thank you. What a great introduction to our topic, David, and it's a pleasure. I understand you just got off a plane a few minutes ago, so thank you so much for landing somewhere where you could join us. We really appreciate your time. Looking forward to a lot more of your insights. And now let me welcome our second guest today, No Stranger to Coffee Break with Game Changers. It's Bob Parker, Group Vice President at IDC Research, and Bob is waxing French today. He has sent me a quote from Jean-Paul Sartre, those of you remembering, scratching your heads, where did I hear that name? Sartre lived from 1905 to 1980, also more recently than I would have thought. He was a French philosopher, playwright, novelist, political activist, biographer, and literary critic, all around Renaissance guy. And here's the quote from Sartre, only the guy who isn't rowing has time to rock the boat. Well, there's profound. Thank you, Bob Parker. How are you today? Thanks, Bonnie. Pleasure to be back. And I'm glad you were just on with us a couple of weeks ago. You're a very popular person. So tell me, Finance 2020, what would Sartre say about your using his quote to talk about finance and digital? Would he be shocked? Yeah, you know, I think, um,
4: I think it's funny, the quote itself, it's kind of an action-oriented quote for an existentialist. But beyond that, mm-hmm. um, I think he would see, uh, to David's comments, that if you're rowing the spreadsheet boat, you don't have time to stand up and look at how your role has to change. And, you know, I really think that uh, he would encourage uh, folks to um, get away from the spreadsheet and and start to take advantage of the digital and reshape and rock the finance boat at the organization to
2: um, uh, reorient the role to something more productive. Something more productive. That's a key word here, isn't it? More productive. How unproductive is what's going on today, Bob?
4: Well, you know, it it was also interesting, um, David's comments about uh, complexity, because I think that, um, you know, there's a desire to simplify, uh, and and there's a difference, though, between complexity and complication. So with Mm -hmm. digital, we have brand new business models that are quite complex, but that's the reality, and, but there's also complications, that things we can simplify to eliminate waste. So today, too much of that unproductive time goes into managing the complication that, I, that I've put in place, my systems, my methods, my organizational structures, uh, and what we need to do is attack the, the complication and simplify so that we can uh, embrace the complexity of the new world and be successful.
2: Thank you very much, Bob, and a pleasure to have you back again. Looking forward also to your additional words of wisdom. And third up on the panel, well, I haven't spoken to this lady in a long time, but she popped up very frequently on the Financial Excellence with Game Changers series. And good news, the series is coming back uh, through the expertise and wisdom of Chris Grundy at SAP. He's bringing the series back in 2016 for Season 5, and we're very excited. Uh, Of course, I'm talking about Birgit Starmans she's a Senior Director for Product Marketing with SAP Marketing, SAP S4 HANA, and SAP Fiori, kind of busy. And she found time to pull up a quote from John Maynard Keynes. Those of you scratching your head on this one, he lived from 1883 to 1946. He was an English economist whose ideas fundamentally changed the theory and practice of modern macroeconomics and the economic policies of governments. Kind of important, you might say. And here's A great quote from Keynes. He says, The difficulty lies not so much in developing new ideas as in escaping from old ones. Birgit Starmans, welcome back to Game Changers. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Bonnie. I'm so happy to be back. We are delighted to have you. So talk to me. Are you a big fan of John Maynard Keynes? And by the way, coincidentally, for tomorrow's Internet of Things radio show, somebody else picked
5: Keynes, the same quote, for a topic (laughs) about personal life. I I, I used Einstein two times in the past, being on your show for the financials um, series. So I I had to get away from that, although Einstein is from my hometown. Um, But I... I was drawn to this quote specifically um, because of my consulting background. So while I'm in marketing right now, um, in terms of consulting, uh, it was always interesting to me that uh, when you start to try to redefine a business process and make it more efficient, if you start with a purely whiteboard, what you get is the current process Mm -hmm. because it was very difficult sometimes for customers and clients to think out of the box. So it was almost more efficient to be very radical and propose something completely out of the box for the customers to shoot holes into um, Mm -hmm. because at that point you tempered the radicalness, but at that point you're also making sure that you're actually improving the current processes. So if you start with a completely white board, you end up with what you have today. So it's really taking a break from what you have done in the past and really thinking about ways to innovate and putting that into practice. And that that was always the challenge, and it involves a lot of change management. But at the same time, if you don't think out of the box, you're just going to be automating what you're doing today. And that's Mm -hmm. not going to really be beneficial in terms of transforming your finance organization. Finance needs to be more on the forefront of advising the business, not just reporting after the fact. And if finance doesn't transform their business, then they won't be able to do that. So it's really important to think out of the box and not just reinvent what you have today, but really think about new and innovative ways to do things. Thank you, Birgit.
2: When I was researching John Maynard Keynes, I pulled up a couple of fascinating quotes. He was, I think, very tongue-in-cheek. Let me just read one of them. I think it will make all three of you laugh at least a little bit temporarily. He defines education as the inculcation of the incomprehensible into the indifferent by the incompetent. (laughs) Did you get that? (laughs) Uh, wait a minute! I have, um, I have an even better one from John Maynard Keynes. You won't believe this one. Capitalism is the astounding belief that the most wickedest of men will do the most wickedest of things for the greatest good of everyone. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> just. Just kind of makes you think what he was drinking back there in the late 1800s. (laughs) Well, he was just a baby, but I don't know what was in the
5: mother's milk. What were you going to say, Birgit? No, the funny thing is, I mean, because I was debated between this quote and another one about... yeah it's uh and I don't have it in front of me right now, but yeah, so you think about creativity, but creativity is thinking about new things and innovation is about implementing new things and I thought that was a really good one too, so I was debating between the two of them actually.
2: <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought us Keynes because uh it gave us a pause to look at some funny things he had said, so guess what? I'm going to flip the coin and go back to the beginning of the table where David Axon is sitting. I know where you are, David. I can virtually see you. And I'm going to ask you a very important question because this is Coffee Break with Game Changers, and we'd like to know a little bit more about you. So I'm going to ask you, what's in your cup today, David Axon? First of all, where are you when you landed? And what are you drinking right now, or what are you planning to drink after the show? Well, I've just landed in Cleveland, Ohio after a 19-hour
3: trip from Cape Town, South Africa. So uh, my body is actually seven hours ahead of where we are at the moment. So I'm thinking a a nice glass of Pinotage, uh, sitting outside in the sunshine as I was on Monday evening, uh, enjoying a very nice alfresco dinner with my wife in the wine country just outside Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, But unfortunately, it's uh, just after 11 o'clock in Ohio, so I'm sitting here with a large cup of coffee and a glass of water.
2: Okay, well, I want to know what's in that coffee. Is it what I like to call high test, meaning it's uh, as much pa- caffeine as you can possibly squeeze into one cup?
3: Uh, not really. You know, being an Englishman, we grew up with no cuisine and no, uh, no uh, beverages of uh, real note around the world. So we try and import everything from everywhere else. So I'm afraid this is good old-fashioned instant coffee, which uh, brands me as a child of the 1970s. Uh, What i found in the last 20, 30 years is we used to have one of everything. Now we have thousands of choices. Think about wine, Mm. think about beer, think Mm. about consolidation going on in the beer industry at the moment. A lot of that is because consumers, when they walk into a bar now, instead of seeing two or three beers on tap, they see 40 or 50 beers on tap. That's right. You walk down the coffee aisle in the supermarket, it's now about 20 yards long. It used to be about three feet long. And there were two choices from two major consumer products companies. We're seeing this proliferation in everything that happens. And it's creating a very interesting world of consumer-driven choice. And we in finance are sitting there trying to plan it, count it, and report it. And it's a very complex environment in which to operate. And we really need some help from technology uh, to face up to this challenge.
2: Well, that was profound. I think we had about 12 quotable moments in there, David Axon. I couldn't even capture one of them for Twitter, but wow, I'm going to have to get the transcript of this show and see what you actually said. Wonderful stuff. Have you been quoted widely, David? Do we have uh, David Axon quotes on the Starbucks cup yet? Uh, Not quite
3: there yet, but uh, I've had three books published, so some of my quotes are floating around on the internet if you look carefully
5: at us.
2: I had a feeling. Okay, thank you very much for making proving true my intuition here. David, delighted, and uh, happy landing. Glad you're here. Bob Parker, where are you calling from? What time of day is it, and what's in your cup today? Well, I'm
4: an East Coast guy on the West Coast this week.
2: I'm in San Mateo,
4: California. I was up at 4 a.m. this morning and uh, have a very strong cup of Starbucks coffee in front of me, and I don't see any quotes from David on it. So just to conclude.
2: <laughs> just I way, deserve that way. one. I I really deserve that one. Uh, what? You, come on, you're not going to get away with that. Starbucks coffee, they have at least 40 or 50 flavors. David and I both know that. Bob, what flavor or what particular style are you drinking? Tall, short, is it a half-caf, full-caf, decaf? Is it a pumpkin spice? Is it a latte? Come on, tell me more.
4: It's a vente coffee of the day. I'm uh, I'm not into the consumer choice when it comes to coffee. Just make it
2: very strong, and I drink it very and I drink it black. Okay, man after my heart. Thank you very much. I'm sorry to prod there, but you know I'm very no curious. Birgit Starbins, <laughs> where are you today? I know you haven't been feeling well, and you sound very good by the way. Where are you, and what are you drinking today, Birgit?
5: I am actually home in Mountain View, California. Um, I am drinking something, um, it's going to sound very California-ish, lemon water. So, (laughs) as you said, I have not been feeling well. I've had the flu. I came back from Puerto Rico recently where the changes between the inside hotel Arctic air Mm -hmm. (laughs) temperatures and the outside humidity just really got to me. Um, So, I'm drinking lemon water. So, I've been actually squeezing real lemons into... Uh, still water and it is really helping my throat feel better so they say that there are a ton of other health benefits to having this but right now it's really making my throat feel better so i'm glad you think that i sound better that's great news
2: you sound wonderful. Thank you. Enjoy your lemon water. And let's see, what am I drinking today? I have a mug. Well, Birgit knows this. Bob probably knows this. They don't let Bonnie have caffeinated beverages on live radio show today. And today is a doubleheader. We have coffee break with Game Changers on air right now. And at 2 p.m. Eastern, I'll be back with... Game Changing HR Leaders. So I'm drinking from a beautiful mug from an agency I used to work with, not for, but with, and the mug says, Truth, Story, Love. I've got wonderful, cool, clear, filtered water, and I've got a yellow straw, not green for money, which I should have had because we're talking finance, but yellow is for sunshine because it's not quite sunny here in New York today. But I digress. Guess what? We have a big topic, a lot to talk about. Off to a roaring start here with Dave. David Axon at Accenture, Bob Parker at IDC, Birgit Starmans at SAP. And I would be remiss if I didn't do a shout-out to my colleague at SAP, Brad Borkin, for bringing together these three great finance experts who are going to share so much great information when we come back and start the roundtable. Our topic today is Finance 2020, Life or Death by digital. I want you all to ponder that. Remember, put that quarter away, go out and put it back in the parking meter where it belongs and come back and listen to a lot of words of wisdom on what digital can and should hopefully do to improve and grow the the strength and the possibilities and the success of your finance organization. We'll be right back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin out.
1: SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers. Presented by SAP. You can send an email to Bonnie.com. Graham at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com.
2: Welcome back. We're here and ready to impress you with the expertise of our experts, because they certainly are. We're talking today with David Axon. You want to look him up, A-X-S-O-N. He is at Accenture. We have Bob Parker, returning guest from IDC, and Birgit Starmans. And I'll spell her last name if you want to look her up and get some more information on her. S-T-A-R. She is a star. S-T-A-R-M-A-N-N-S. And she's with SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after we discover whether digital is going to kill or infuse with great new energy your finance organization between now and 2020. David Axon has graciously agreed to open the roundtable, and David, I'm going to read just a little bit from your notes here, and then let's just run with it. You say, since 2008, which is just seven short years ago, we have witnessed a seemingly never-ending stream of, and here are the keywords, everyone, unpredictable, volatile, and material events that have dramatically increased the demands on finance. So let's start with the challenge, the demands on finance, and then we'll go into Digital transformation. David please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's been a
3: fascinating last seven to ten years that we've experienced in the finance organization. The unprecedented depth and speed with which uh, the global economy entered recession in late 2008 was something that none of us had experienced in our lifetimes. Uh, certainly unprecedented since the end of the Second World War. What was interesting is that companies emerged from that financial downturn with stronger balance sheets than through many of the earlier downturns that occurred. The dot-com blowout, Black Monday in 1987, uh, oil price crises in the early 1970s. And so CFO's reputation within the organization has actually been significantly elevated over the last seven years. Companies did a very good job of conserving cash and deploying capital effectively that allowed them to emerge from that depression, that recession, whatever word you want to pick, in a relatively strong position. But what it's also done is increase the expectations on the finance organization. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the core of finance, helping the business allocate resources effectively for the future, that's the annual planning and budgeting process. Now, most business executives, when you say it's time to start building the annual budget, uh, don't open their arms up and say, great, this is the single most valuable use of my time over the next three or four months, is to plan out the next year in excruciating detail. Typically, the end of budget season, which many companies are coming to fruition now in terms of locking down their 2016 budgets, is greeted by a sigh of relief and a comment, now I can get back to my real job and do something important in the business. And frankly, that's a crying shame. You know, we're in an environment today where planning for the future is one of the few opportunities business executives have to think creatively about the future. And we in finance are not doing a good enough job of helping people do that because our point of view and our perspective is rooted in the past. And if you think about the eight years that we've experienced since the 2007-2008 financial downturn, the previous year has been a pretty appalling predictor of the subsequent year. You know, who 12 months ago was predicting oil prices would stay in the $40 range? I've just got off an airplane from South Africa. I was speaking at an SAP financials event in Johannesburg last week, and I was in South Africa three months ago. And In that period of time, the RAND has weakened by 30% against the dollar. Good news for me spending dollars over there, not so good news for South Africans who want to visit Disney World. And that volatility Mm -hmm. and uncertainty is creating a massive pent-up demand for finance to provide insight and perspective through techniques like scenario planning and sensitivity analysis rather than simply rooting their view of the future in what happened in the past. That's invigorating and exciting work for finance professionals to do but requires a fundamental change in mindset, different skills, different data, and different technologies to be brought to bear to allow finance to really unlock the analytic horsepower that exists within the organization and focus it on proactive decision-making for the future, how do we optimally allocate resources, and how do we dynamically adjust performance in the light of volatility? I mean, who 20 years ago thought we would worry about whether Greece could pay their bills and yet that has been a dominating economic target that has influenced business decision-making across the globe. And on, with the unfortunate events happening in Paris last week, mm-hmm. we're still asking ourselves questions. What will be the impact on the future performance of our enterprise in 2016? And that will already be causing some budgets to get reworked. We really need to think very clearly about how we add value and how we bring capability to bear.
2: Thank you, David. Wow, that was a lot to absorb. I want to know what Bob Parker at IDC thinks about that. Bob, agree, disagree? Ed, go ahead. Well,
4: I agree with a, with a, with a twist, perhaps. Um, I think yes. I said the last time we spoke, Bonnie, that I'm not an economist, but I play one on TV. But um, <laughs> I think what we've seen through the, all this volatility is I refer to it as the treadmill economy. So with all the volatility, with all the cyclical nature since the recession,
5: we haven't had
4: real economic growth. So companies have been on this treadmill, and to David's point, through investment in ERP systems and the elevation of the CFO role, uh, we've been really good at managing the volatility we 've become really good at managing the volatility and we've generated a lot of cash, which uh, relates back to uh, david 's comments about balance sheet health but what i've done what we 've done with the cash was we've done we do stock buybacks or we do dividend increases or we do acquisitions. So it's almost a zero-sum game with the uh, with the cash that I'm generating. However, the digital transformation that's going on, we're we're hearing CEOs talk about. We're no longer a bank. We're a a technology company in the financial services industry. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a sense amongst the CEOs that there's real growth in digital. So to David's point, I think the the CFO role has to change, and and it's always dangerous to use a sports metaphor. But I think the finance function's sort of been the scorekeeper and umpire or referee uh, in the treadmill economy. And they have to pivot on that umpire, the one who enforces the rules, and add coach to the to the mix. So as the business model changes, you, they have to be a key advisor, planner, visionary for what the business model looks like, not just, as David said, kind of look back at the past and applied past patterns to future expectations. That's not going to work if we're going to be part of the digital economy and generate the growth at the company.
2: Thank you. Also very profound. Birgit, talk to us. Thoughts on what David started and Bob
5: added on to. Go ahead, Birgit. Yeah, I, I, I think there there are certain things. I mean, I think volatility is going to continue. Sometimes it's, sometimes the years are more volatile. Sometimes they're a little bit less volatile. I think we're seeing a little bit less volatility right now, which is giving finance really the opportunity to restructure and being able to support the business. Um, while not really having to deal with emergencies, so to speak. Um, yeah, at the same time, I think um, finance is, is really getting ready to embrace more of these technologies. I think finance in the past has always been very hesitant to embrace new, new, new technologies because of concerns about security or uh, just in general not being familiar with the technology. And we're seeing more millennials being part of finance organizations. So they are more willing to embrace these technologies, which will really help them be able to do things that they were not able to do before. So instead of having to build all of their own spreadsheet models, you know, all of a sudden we have um, planning tools that allows you to very easily to, um, make sure that you can identify your key drivers for your business and do some modeling and what-if analysis, etc. cetera. Um, and I think finance is starting to trust that more and if that's a centralized process, it's not that everybody has their own Excel sheets, but it's in one centralized place on a server so everybody has access to the same information. So everybody's really talking more about from one source of the truth. So there is definitely a progression. Um, I think previous, previously, finance didn't really trust anything that wasn't on their Excel spreadsheet on their local, local laptop or, or desktop. Um, And I think now they're beginning to trust more that collaborative effort. And we're definitely seeing more collaboration to get better information to make better decisions.
2: Also great, profound, and interesting information. David Axon, I'm going to circle back to you. Thoughts on what Birgit and Bob shared after you started this topic?
3: Yeah, I think they're both exactly right. We have a tremendous opportunity with technology at the moment. And I sound like a broken record because I've been praying for that to happen for the last 30 years since I started my career in finance. But I finally see the reality catching up with the hype in terms of what we're able to do. You know, right time information. We don't need everything to be real time. We want information at the right time. But we also want the analytical insight and forethought to be put into place that allows financial analysts to change their perspective. You know, the very word accounting means looking backwards. And things look add up and balance when you look backwards, and detail does equal accuracy. As soon as you switch and pivot to look to the future, things don't add up. They don't balance, and detail does not equal accuracy. In fact, it's the exact opposite. So there's a significant mindset change that we can enable that helps people think through this change process.
2: Thank you very much. Guess what? I'm looking for a great opening to our our. Uh Roundtable. By the way, I'm looking at Bob Parker's notes. Let's see if we can find something new and different. Let's let's talk about um, I don't know. Let's talk about focus on the CFO, Bob. You say the CFO role is changing. I know we we've talked about finance in aggregate, if you will, but let's focus on the person sitting at the C-suite table with CFO printed on the back of their director's chair, and you say that person is quickly moving from scorekeeper to coach. It's not just analysis. It's understanding. Understanding of what? Understanding of the company's products and services, the supply chains, the sales channels, and so much more. Bob, maybe you could help us by giving us a job description of the CFO today morphing into who will be sitting in that chair in 2020 since that's our focus. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I do think it
4: becomes a more of a coach job description. Um, the scorekeeping is r- will remain important. The the umpire function, the enforcement of the rules re- will remain important. But what we see happening with digital transformation is this um, movement towards what you would call virtual joint ventures. So let's use a, an example. Diageo wants to run a NCAP promotion in retail stores in Australia, they want to put an application out there, they want the store managers involved, so they have this self-forming team. So think about the CFO's role in that. Are Are they arm's length and they just wait for those numbers to roll up? Or is their organization actively involved in the planning of that individual campaign with the understanding of logistics costs, landed costs, um, promotion, promotional efficacy of past efforts? So it's really more of an, uh, an active role rather than a passive role. So I think job descriptions, um, you know, will have the word digital in it quite a bit. And, and, and mm-hmm. from an analysis and understanding perspective, You know, we talk about innovation really coming from not necessarily eureka moments, but from the way we learn. So I think the CFO, to a certain extent, is the chief learning officer for the organization because they're seeing all the past activities in the outcomes because of the scorekeeping legacy. So they become the um, uh, fuel for innovation because they create the learning. They know that when we had this situation and we did A, it wasn't very effective. But when we did B, it was very effective. So I'm going to be innovative and always do B because I've learned. So innovation comes from learning 90% of the time, not from sitting in a dark room and going, oh, my goodness, um, you know, I've just invented the telephone. Um, So it's... um, (laughs) Uh, I, I see the CFO role changing as a very, very much an active role as a, as opposed to the way we think about it passively today.
2: Wow, CFO becomes the CLO. I like that. That's very very important. Are they going to have two chairs or just one with a bigger title on the back, Bob? What do you think?
4: Well, I think that uh, your question was was astute in that it's the job description. I, I think the the function remains. I still have to appropriate capital. You know, we 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 talk mm-hmm. about. Um, having more time for the analysis, uh, which is the productive work. So uh, there's portfolio analysis that uh, that I use to allocate resources. There's scenario analysis I do to mitigate risk. There's value analysis I use to optimize I- outcomes. And then there's situational analysis that helps me determine next best action. And today the CFO sort of throws the models over the wall. And I think um, in the future they're going to be Uh, much more active parts of that decision making across what we were talking about before supply chain product planning all of that so um i think the i think the breadth of responsibilities gets much much wider and i think the um uh, as someone who's been in finance and gotten out it's a much more exciting proposition than it was (laughs) when i was looking at those jobs um so i think i think it's going to be a Uh, a a really fun function to be in at a lot of companies.
2: Bob, are you going to go back? You said you got out of it and now it's more fun. Are you heading back into that chair? (laughs) You don't have to answer. I'm
4: too old to turn back at this point.
2: (laughs) Sweetheart, you're never too old for anything. Take it from me. Birgit Starmans, don't talk about Bob's resume, but talk about the idea. A lot he said about the changing role of CFO. What do you observe,
5: Birgit Starmans? Yeah, I I would totally agree with Bob because uh, it's it's not just that the CFO is doing reporting on the back end, but it's really looking at the financial implications of certain decisions. And so, some of the things that we've been talking about with specifically budgeting, planning, forecasting, um, if I have the opportunity to acquire companies, am I going to acquire company A or company B? Am I going to build a product myself? Is that going to cannibalize my current product line? So those are sometimes yeah, a dozen different scenarios that are, that are possible. I would say in the past when finance was doing this manually, they would kind of pre-select a couple of those options because they just didn't have the bandwidth to actually evaluate all of those. Um, now that finance is getting more familiar and more comfortable with technology, they can actually evaluate all of those different scenarios Um, look at what the drivers are and look at the financial implications of every decision. So finance is definitely more in a position to work more closely with operations, whether it is you know, the sales and marketing aspect and demand planning, whether it is the production planning and capacity, what can we actually deliver, um, and really looking at the financial implications because everything that a company does ultimately has a financial impact, whether it's demand planning, whether it's production planning, whether it's even looking at risk and the, the potential fees and, and, and fines that, that, that are out there if, if you're not following all the, all the rules and regulations. So the rules and regulations aren't going to be going away, but def, finance is definitely taking a larger seat at the table, and we're seeing more um, organizations where folks like the CIO are reporting to the CFO, where the CFO is being really asked, as part of the boardroom conversations, what is the financial implications if we go for option A, B, or C? And it's really important for finance not to have to take a month in the next month end or quarter end or year end closing to be able to come up with that information, but being able to do that as quickly as possible, ideally in real time, but as quickly as possible, looking at all of these different drivers that are important to the company to maximize profit to minimize risk. You can probably never completely eliminate risk, but um, being able to really put a financial value onto that.
2: Thank you, Birgit. I want to circle back to David Axon at Accenture. David, agree, disagree with the changing role and the details that Bob Parker and Birgit Stryman share with us. What do you see, David?
3: Yeah, I go a little bit further. You know, the coach stands on the sidelines and directs the play. Uh, the CFO is actually in the middle of the field. Uh, I'm not very good at American football analogies, so I won't even bother trying. Uh, but effectively, the leadership team of a company today has to be a well machine where each individual doesn't just understand their own role, but understands the roles of the other individuals who make up the team and how that team collectively performs in order to deliver high performance. You know, the financial outcome of any business event is the last thing that happens. By the time it hits the P&L or the balance sheet, it's a little too late to do something about it. So I'm increasingly CFOs, I'm increasingly seeing CFOs want to get ahead of that game begin to tap into the increasingly rich data sets that are now available within an organization or through the broader ecosystem of customers, suppliers, and business partners who combine to deliver value to the customer and really begin to understand what data is relevant, when it is relevant, and how we can use that in the context of making better business decisions. That's an incredibly liberating role and one that many CFOs have not traditionally had the time, the capability, all the infrastructure necessary to be able to pursue that role. But those are the conversations I'm having on a regular basis. Job one still remains financial integrity and discipline. You know, you have to close the books and you have to be able to produce your statutory statements in an accurate fashion. But that is 20 to 30% of the role of finance in the future. 60 to 70% is how do we make those financial statements look better by, trading, by making better business decisions that create value not just for our customers, but for our shareholders and our other stakeholders in the business. And that's increasingly the role that the CFO has to play. He's on the field. He's not on the touchline directing the plays of others.
2: Thank you. That's profound. And I think you have a very good grasp of American sport, sounds to me. Bob Parker, you want to comment on that? Yeah, you know, I
4: don't want to uh, split semantic hairs over a metaphor. But I, I do think when I, when I say coach, I'm – talking more about, um, so the CFO isn't going to manage the product portfolio. That's still going to be engineering and product management. But when I think about a coach, a coach teaches the fundamentals to the players. So the financial fundamentals, the underpinning. So in supply chain, we're moving from sales and operations planning to integrated business planning, which brings a financial view into the supply chain planning as opposed to operating in parallel. And I think the finance function is to teach the fundamentals to those supply chain executives so they can do better integrated business planning. I I don't think the CFO is going to do sales and operations planning. They're not going to do product portfolio planning, but they're going to be much more actively involved by giving those other functional constituents a much better understanding of the fundamentals that they need to make good business decisions.
2: Thank you very much, I'm going to turn to Birgit Starmans. And, Birgit, I'm looking at your notes because let's see. Oh, we have about six minutes left till we go to our crystal ball predictions round. And Birgit sent me so much interesting information. I want to make sure we cover some of it. Birgit, let's talk about hyperconnectivity. And just let me give a little background here. You say every consumer and every machine is connected disrupting all the established rules around business channels. Connectivity drives the movement of goods, services, people, knowledge, and wealth, sensors, robotics, 3D printing, AI, artificial intelligence are the new normal. It's here. It's not going to leave us at all, it'll probably morph into something even more hyperconnected in the future, but we're not there yet. Birgit, how does hyperconnectivity impact this change from the tyranny of spreadsheets, as David so eloquently put it, to the CFO of 2020? What What
5: are we talking about? I, I think it's really more of a working style, and I, I, I've been quoted in presentations as saying, "Don't get behind me in, a, in an airport line." I do have pre-check, but I've got two <laughs> iPhones, two iPads, a computer—you name it—I've got it. Um, but I, I would say that um, the, I think there is not as much of a delineation of being offline. People are always online, um, even if it's after hours, even if it's on vacation, etc. So we are getting more used to that in our personal lives. We can see uh, whatever it may be, whether it's our, our airport schedule, whether it's our bank statement, et cetera. And I think there's becoming a more comfort factor in business of and the expectation of always having that. And if you think about um, yeah, basically this really thinking out of the box going forward, um, if we have, um, we can now activate our alarms in our house uh, through our smartphones. We can set our heating system, our air conditioning system through our, through our smartphones. We can get alerts from our car. When, for example, the tire pressure is down, well, that's being taken over into business. And first, it was just RFID's moving moving information around. Now, it is also uh, well. Let's schedule our maintenance, and all of these things have a financial impact. So, let, let if I schedule maintenance on a on a very rigorous schedule. Well, the machine might not need maintenance. Why don't we embed a chip that lets us know when it needs maintenance? Because that way we don't spend the money and we don't have the downtime, which has a financial impact both on the production cost as well as the revenue. Um, to maintain a machine that doesn't need maintenance yet, but make sure that we maintain it before it actually breaks down and, again, has a financial impact. So having that intelligence and embedding that information, um, it's not just about having the volume of information, but having the right information when you need it. But I'm definitely seeing more of that intelligence uh, being embedded and again, it all has a financial impact in serving customers. So ultimately, most companies need to serve their customers either through services or through producing products. So if products go down because there is a problem on the production line or because we didn't do our planning correctly, um, I I would say that finance with operations, um, including supply chain, including sales and service, Are being very much more intertwined because it all has a financial impact impact at the ultimate, at the end of the day. Thank you. And I just tweeted that how
2: many devices you carry to an airport, (laughs) Birgit, so people will know (laughs) if yes, see Birgit.
5: So you're probably not going to get stuck behind me.
2: Well, you're going to identify Birgit by the, the butterfly-like flower on the right side of her hair, her long blonde hair, and all of the iPads and iPhones and I this and I that and I, 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 I. Thank you very much, David Axon. let's get some comments from you on the hyperconnectivity trend and how the financial impact on businesses is so real. Talk to me, David.
3: Well, I agree with Birgit completely. Let me give you a very real and simple finance example here. In the old world, a customer would order a part. The part would either be picked from inventory or manufactured. It would then be shipped to the customer. The engineer at the customer's site would take the part, go and install it in a machine. He would update the record. The paperwork would be routed back to the finance department. You'd have a shipper, a receiver, a purchase order, and you'd have the asset record. And finance would go through a manual process of doing the three-way match to pay the supplier and would update the fixed asset record to show that the part was now in the asset and it was in service, so you could either depreciate it or expense it appropriately. In today's world, the supplier installs a 3D printer in the customer's location. The engineer needs a spare part. He goes and prints it out on the 3D printer. That automatically triggers not just the sale, it automatically triggers the receivable and sets up the payable in the customer's system. The engineer goes and installs the part, which had a sensor on it, into the asset, which automatically updates fixed asset record. In the new world, you have no inventory, you have no payable, you have no receiver, you have no shipper, you have no purchase order. Think of that in the context of the work that finance does today and compare it to the work that finance will do tomorrow. The working capital implications are huge, the data availability implications are huge, and perhaps most personally for the finance professional, their job has just been redefined.
2: Hmm. There we go. We have it in stone now. Bob Parker. Thoughts on what Birgit started and David added on to. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, I think
4: on the hyperconnectivity, we have to. We have. If you're a finance professional, you have to think about how your job is changing as well. So, you know, in in David's example, let's assume it's a spare part that um, isn't feasible to three D print and I need to know inventory. Inventory balances have always been the result of debits and credits of all those transactions David mentioned. But what if I can go ask the shelf how many do you have on you (laughs) and it tells me three. So now my operational construct isn't tied to double-entry bookkeeping, it's tied to real-time visibility. So the finance function changes significantly just because of the availability of um uh, access to the data uh, real time connectivity uh, to the data itself or what or what the the cyber representation of the data is so i uh, you know i think the 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 finance function changes completely um on that basis because the 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 system of record could be that inventory shelf, not the not the ledger balance uh, resulting from the debits and credits.
2: Thank you very much. And guess what? We are going to circle back one more time to David Axon at Accenture. David, it's time for the crystal ball predictions round. I'm going to start by giving each of you one minute. That's 60 seconds. Count them and use them wisely. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you, since our topic is finance 2020, I don't have to say whatever year you see in the crystal ball because that's where we're already focused. So finance 2020, life or death by digital. Why not you give me your prediction on what's really going to happen in the next four and a half to five years? 60 seconds, David Axon, Accenture.
3: It's incredibly liberating to be a finance professional in 2020. You won't necessarily have an accounting degree. You may be a philanthropist. You may be an anthropologist. You may be a data scientist. You may be a quantitative mathematician. The beauty is those portfolio of skills will be coming together in a digitally enabled world that is providing automatic event-driven alerts on interesting things that are happening in the business that you need to be concerned about and potentially apply your analytic skill set to. The ability to be able to then take that information and translate it into business decisions, we will take that for granted. Uh, it's going to be an incredibly wild ride for the next five years. We're already into that journey as we see companies begin to deploy these tools and technologies. But the most important part is where people interact with the technology. And that, to me, remains the biggest challenge going forward. Technology will no longer be the impediment. The impediment will be staring you in the face every morning when you brush your teeth.
2: Well, my goodness, we'll be sure to brush our teeth then. Thank you very much. I couldn't resist. Bob Parker, prediction, 60 seconds. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it really comes back to that
4: that, to that notion of learning. Uh, the tyranny of the spreadsheet that David mentions is not so much – it's not just the data drudgery of getting it into the spreadsheet. It's also the sheer fantasies spreadsheets can, can create, right? I'm going to make an investment. Oh, it doesn't work? Well, let's change the assumption from 4% revenue growth to 5% revenue growth. Oh, now it's a positive return. Let's make the investment. And so you create these self-fulfilling prophecies with the spreadsheet, but people do a woeful job of going back and auditing those decisions to see if they were effective or not. So Mm -hmm. the winners and losers in finance organizations are not just the ones that bring discipline to the system of record, but also bring a, uh, an ability to turn the organization into a learning organization so that you can interrogate the data until it confesses as opposed to just making the data dance and say what you want it to say within the spreadsheet.
2: Wow, another tweetable moment. Thank you very much. I'm tapping as fast as I can. Need the data to to interrogate the data until it confesses. I think we need to uh, crochet that on the side of a pillow or write it on a wall somewhere. Thank you, Bob. Birgit Starman's I'll give you your 60 seconds of glory for predictions. I'm going to challenge you to use as many picture words as you can as your (laughs) colleagues on the panel have. Go ahead. Be
5: even more memorable, Birgit. 60 seconds. Go. Well, I I do agree with David and Bob. I I think there there are really three points. One is that um, finance will be embracing technology more and more, and we're seeing that already, that finance is becoming more comfortable with things like in-memory mobile cloud. I mean, you couldn't say cloud to finance a few years ago, and and they are becoming more comfortable with using these new technologies because of their working styles. Um, I would say the second aspect is to – identify what the right information is because we are so overwhelmed with information that we need to pick what are the right drivers that really uh, will affect our business and will affect the bottom line. So really being able to come up um, in an analytical viewpoint, to being able to identify uh, what are the drivers that are going to be driving my business, that are going to be driving my profitability that might be driving my profitability down. And then I think the third piece is really change management because these are different skill sets. It's a different skill set from consolidating information um, from multiple sources into an Excel sheet versus being able to use this technology and actually making predictions and working together with the other areas of the organization. So I think change management is going to be huge for finance because it's really a different paradigm of how they're going to be working going forward. Thank you very
2: much. Much brief and to the point and equally memorable. I have to tell the three of you, you made Finance 2020 a very exciting conversation. I always worry, not me being totally on the outside of the finance arena. Uh, What are we going to talk about? How is it going to flow? And I have to say, David Axon at Accenture, Bob Parker at IDC, and Birgit Starmans at SAP, the three of you did a spectacular job of bringing this to life and making it quite exciting. And I thank you for that. So you can all take that shiny quarter and flip it, and I guarantee it's all going to be heads up. I'm absolutely positive. That's my my prediction. All of the quarters are going to fall heads up. So thank you so much to the three of you. We really appreciate your time, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Bob and Birgit know this. David's going to learn this. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern with a new live edition of We're talking about change management on game-changing HR leaders presented by SAP and ASUG. Have a great one. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com.